0: Uh, So this also will be a little bit different than some of our previous messages in Proverbs. So uh, we won't often do this, do broader glosses over larger sections of of, of text. Uh, But we're going to handle 27 verses this morning. Yes, it is possible, I think. Um, So, the reason why is because we spent so much time so far building a foundation in the book of Proverbs. So we've, we've gone into some word studies and we looked at some of these larger themes that are going to be repeated throughout. And so everything that we're going to cover this morning, we have covered or addressed at some point so far. So these themes that we've handled, uh, the, the father's concern and counsel for his son, uh, his desire for his son to, to gain wisdom and insight and to hold on to it, to guard it, not to turn from it. The father's exhortation to walk in the paths of righteousness, encouraging him to have a long life in the Lord. Also, his warning to avoid the wicked and the importance of the heart as the health of the whole body. So, what we're going to do this morning, there are three poems, and uh, each poem kind of has its own theme. They, they work together, so we're gonna briefly look at what's going on in the big ideas in each poem. We're gonna see how those are fulfilled and uh, perfected in Christ, and we're gonna look at some application for, for us. So coming out of the Christmas season, this should be our biggest takeaway. Christ exalting scripture and life applying it within the church. So we want Christ to be exalted this morning as we do every week, but coming out of Christmas when you've got all the family responsibilities and the, the, the things that you have to plan, I wanted today uh, to be more of an encouragement and a reminder of what we have in Christ. And, um, and so one of the themes that you're going to see, the reason why this is called the crown of life is that the first section, the crown, or destination, is kind of the, the, the goal of, of the book of Proverbs. Hold wisdom highly because that is your, your crown. That is the, the thing of value on your head. Anything that's on your head within, within Hebrew understanding uh, is, is kind of tied to who you are. And So something goes on your head, oil on your head, crown on your head, it, it, it trickles down to the entire body. So that's our destination. And that destination in the second poem... Um, is is accomplished, or you you get there by this walk, um, and so that's why it's called ambulation because it just fits well, and it's a great word to say. Uh, it just means to walk from one place to another. Um, but in the third poem, it's going to come. All that comes from your orientation, your your heart. Which what is your heart inclined to? Is your heart kept and guarded by wisdom, um, or is it pulled? left and right by everything else in the world. And then in each of these sections, there is a reminder of life. In each section there is this this call to life. Keep these commandments because you will live. This will be life to you. Your heart, the wisdom is the springs of life that come out of you. And so to the Hebrew ear, long life is a sign of, of, of blessedness. We don't know how much they really understood about eternal life, but it wasn't much. It was in shadowy form. So for them, everything that they knew was from the time that you were born into the time that you died. And so life was was everything, and it was important. You wanted to do everything you could to have a long life. But for us, we know for sure. And we know concretely in our theology, what eternal life is. And so we can take these verses in life and know the Lord does desire good things for his people here, but ultimately our life is not one that is marked by the breaths in our, in our lungs. Our life is, is marked by what we have in Christ and what we have with him forever. And so we're gonna look a little bit for what it meant for the Hebrew, but mostly what it meant for us. And so if I was to sum up the entire movement of this text, it would be the crown of life, comes by the paths of righteousness from the heart that keeps wisdom. That's basically where we're going this morning. The crown of life comes by the paths of righteousness from the heart that keeps wisdom. All right, let's jump in. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Hear, O sons of fathers' instructions, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts, do not forsake my teaching." When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and he said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the path of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come before you this morning, the great and awesome, almighty God the true and living, the unchanging, the all-knowing, the all-powerful. Yet we also come to you as Father who desires faithful children, who desires to keep our feet from stumbling, who loves us enough to instruct us and discipline us, who knows us well enough to know what will entrap and ensnare us, who reminds us again and again because we are weak and feeble to keep our eyes fixed on you. Lord, help us in our weakness this morning. Help us because we are prone to wander. Our hearts are drawn after every appealing thing within this world, and we are drawn away from you. Lord, we praise you for the gift of new life of regeneration, of adoption, of being brought to new life, of being brought into your life. Lord, help us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. May we desire to be obedient. May we desire to walk the straight and narrow. May your word convict us and shape us into the image of Christ. Because none of this is possible without Christ. If it was up to our heart, we would never do these things. But because of him, because of his sacrifice, we are given new life, a new heart. We are given his spirit that we may follow him and please him, and that we may join him in glory one day. We praise you for this. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so, poem number one, verses one through nine. You'll tell pretty quickly where. The poem's split because each one begins with my son. Each one kind of builds on one another but begins with my son. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. So here's the big idea before we get into poem one. The big idea. Get wisdom and live. She's your crown. Get wisdom and live. She's your crown. Here's, here, here's the destination, the goal, the, the end of all things, the supreme ethic of this entire book. Wisdom. The wisdom of God, the knowledge of God, the fear of the Lord applied to your life, that is your crown. There is nothing more valuable. So let's begin. Uh, verses 1 through 4a is just kind of an introduction, so we won't spend a lot of time here. But I want you to notice what's going on here. Hear, O sons, of father's instructions, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son... Notice who's speaking here. This is Solomon. With my father, who's he speaking of, David, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother. He taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words. Um, Before we get there, he taught me and said to me. So think about this. This is a father's concern for sons, but this is Solomon recounting the instruction he got from King David. And so we're kind of getting a look into the family lineage here. The discipleship from father to son. And if there's going to be discipleship, there probably was no greater on earth than than David discipling Solomon. And so that's kind of setting this up. But all of this instruction we know is, is good. Everything here is valuable. But if you read the life of Solomon, he didn't always follow it. He followed after his own desires, and so he knew these things, but he didn't apply them to his own life. And so to look to the greatest example, we must look to the son of David, the one who would come, the covenant promise son who would reign forever. So what can we learn about being obedient to parents and taking on insight from the son of David, meaning Christ? So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. So we touched on this, we're going to begin in verse 41. We touched on this a little bit last week with the idea of neighbor. What was neighbor in the Hebrew context? So I want to look at this account in its, in its, uh, in its complete context. So we, we, we brought up neighbor because to them, neighbor was not just some random stranger you walk by on the street. It was people that you live next to, that you, that you ate with, that your, your children looked at as family because most of them were family. So there's a reason why Jesus can be gone for a day before they miss him and gone for three days and he's perfectly fine. So picking up in Luke chapter 2 verse, verse 41, I want you to see at the age of 12 how Jesus is a good and perfect son. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover and when he was 12 years old they went up according to custom and when the feast was ended they were returning the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposed him to be in the group. They, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, neighbors, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple. Every young boy at about 12 fantasizes about running away for three days. None of us fantasizes about going to the temple to learn from the elders, Already, Jesus is way ahead of us. And all, uh, excuse me. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. At twelve, his wisdom astonishes the teachers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, "Son, why have you treated us so?" Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he was submissive to them. Notice, he is obedient to his parents. He submits to them. But his ultimate submission is to the father. In submitting to his parents... He can disappear for three days, but he is never apart from his father. He always goes to the source of instruction. He sits around the teachers and he confounds them. But his mother knew there was something more going on here, and she treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and man. This is the consummate son. David is instructing Solomon. But this will never be carried out completely until the one who had come from the line of David, until the one who was rightful to sit on the throne of David forever. This one, this son, grew in wisdom and knowledge. And his crown of wisdom he held tightly until the day when he would receive his heavenly crown of glory and his ascension. And his... So in his earthly time he walked and lived as this king of wisdom even though he was just a boy until one day he would have his heavenly coronation. So that's kind of the introduction starting in verse 4 now's the address. Let your heart hold fast to my words and keep my commandments and live. This opens with an appeal to the heart and we're going to close with appeal to the heart as the focus and the core of our being. Notice the repetition here. Keep my commandments and live. Here's the first emphasis on live. What is associated with life? Get wisdom, get insight. Again in verse seven. This is the beginning of wisdom, get insight. Whatever you get, get wisdom. This Hebrew word is not just grab or snatch. It is by acquire. Meaning, acquire it by any means necessary. Whatever you have to pay, whatever it costs you, buy it because it is valuable. There's nothing more valuable than wisdom. Take it and and treasure it. And I love how verse 7 starts with the obvious. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Duh. Before you you, you start in wisdom, you must get it. In order to apply wisdom, you got to have a little wisdom. And that's, that's really what he's getting at here. But look at all of these, these reminders and warnings. Do not forget. Do not turn away. Do not forsake her. Stay the course. Don't forget. Don't turn away. Don't forsake her. Be completely focused. This is like when you've got a long drive to go or you've been on a long drive and you've got like five hours left. You're like, I'm not stopping for the bathroom. We're not stopping to eat. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this happen. I'm so determined to get there. Because that is the most important thing. I can't wait to get there. But how often do we treasure the wisdom of God like that? Are we on this kind of lackadaisical Sunday drive? And I might just go over here and see what happens over here. And and I'll get there when I I get there. The Father's instruction here is do do not turn to the right or the left. Hold on to her. Do not forsake her. And an interesting language here. Love her. And she will guard her. Later on in verse 8, embrace her. Why the romantic language here? Why is this picture? Well, one, you're talking to a young man. Get his attention. Talk about young women. Um, But this is also setting up chapter 5. Chapter 5 is about the adulterous woman who will try to lure him in with sensuality in words that will will tickle his ears. He's trying to tell her, love the good woman. Keep your eyes on, on her. Because there is a forbidden woman, a wicked woman who wants your heart. And she's going to try to lead you away. And so uh, we'll spend a few weeks there. Nothing like starting the new year on sexuality. So we'll be doing that the, uh, the, the next few weeks. All right, so jumping ahead to verse 8. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. These two words, um, prize and exalt. They both have similar meanings within the Hebrew. To prize something means to stack high. Get as much of it as you can. Lift it up. Hold it highly. And that's what the word exalt means. It means to be lifted up. Someone else doing it to you. So basically what's being said is prize wisdom highly. Hold her up and she will hold you up. One is active. One is passive. One you do. The other one is being done to you. So there's this this relationship here between lifting up the things of wisdom and letting wisdom lift you up. This is the highest goal, the end of all things, the glory for your head, wisdom, the wisdom of God, the fear of the Lord. And if you do this, she will place on your head a graceful garland she will bestow on you a beautiful crown. This word in the Hebrew, this, be- this thing of beauty, can either mean splendor or glory. And so this, this beautiful, splendid, glorious crown will be placed on your head. Think about these words to a young prince. One day he's gonna wear a crown of gold on his head. And his father's saying, you are gonna sit on this throne and this is what you are preparing your entire life for, but that's not the most important crown the wisdom of gold with, with, with the jewels that everyone is gonna wonder at, that's not what you hold most dear. That is not what's beautiful. That is not what's splendid. That's not what's, what, what's glorious. It's when wisdom crowns your head. It's when you hold high the things of the Lord. And so we get a small glimpse of this, but we see it in fullness In the crown of glory in Christ. Earlier we read in Hebrews 2, 9 and 8, or excuse me, uh, 6 through 10. But I want to look at Hebrews 2 again in this lens. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. A lot of these are going to be on the screen. We're going to flip back and forth a little bit. If you can go with me, go with me. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Now the crown of Christ takes it a step further. It's not just knowledge for knowledge's sake. It's not just fear of the Lord. It's fear of the Lord at the expense of your life. It is laying your life down and and suffering. This is the crown of glory. Only one could do that. Only one could go before us. Only one could lay down his life. Only one could suffer completely and righteously, and by his crown, by his suffering, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. This is central to the gospel. His crown did not come before suffering. The cross must come before the crown, and our crowns can't come before the cross either. This is why Everything that we do and say and Christians comes out of and looks back to the cross. Because there is where everything changes. Jesus did not come to earth with a crown already on his head and say, worship me, because there's still the problem of sin. Because there's still this call in Proverbs to follow wisdom, but we can't. Because we're wicked. Because our hearts turn away to every other thing and we are dead in our trespasses and sins. It is only by the king serving as a suffering servant, going to the cross and achieving this crown by his merit for everyone, meaning the believers here, of course, in the context of Hebrews. Look at verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things existed, this is God language. He's a creator of all things, a sustainer of all things. Him, the same one, In bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder and uh, of their salvation perfect through suffering. Think about this: our crown comes from his suffering. Our crown comes from his coronation. Him going to the cross, ascending into heaven, him going to glory, secures many sons for glory. And so when we look at a passage like Proverbs, get this crown, this is the most valuable thing. We see not just a crown of propositions or or, or thoughts, but a crown that was given to the son. The personification of wisdom given to many sons because he went before them, because he stood in their place, because he tasted death for them. So these, these shadowy promises that we get from David to Solomon we see in fullness in Christ. So I was thinking about when Paul uses the language in 2 Timothy of the athlete who, who, who competes according to the rules, receives the crown. You can only receive the crown and, and, and if you follow the course of what is, what is required. And I was thinking about Um, Olympic athletes, like how much they they, they train and how much of their blood, sweat, and tears quite literally are put into training to receive a medal. But how many of them don't? There's only three medals and hundreds of athletes, thousands of athletes, and hundreds of, of competitions. They work their entire life, every fiber of their being for something that most of them will never touch. But we in Christ, every one of us will be crowned. But we in Christ, every one of us will meddle. We will all stand and and wave. And we will sing the song of our nation, not because of our efforts, but we will be singing worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive glory and honor and praise because he ran before us, because he achieved before us. So I want us to think about this. Does that give you hope? Does that give you comfort? Does that encourage you? Or do you find it hard to find hope in eternal life? Are the things of of this world so consuming, your thoughts and your time and your emotions, that you, you can't even begin to focus on the things of heaven? This is a very real struggle for all of us. Do you see Godly wisdom as eternal treasure, or are you so consumed with the crowns and treasures of, 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 of this world that you're like, I'll, "I'll deal with that spiritual stuff later. I need the new this or the new that. I need to keep up here or there. How's that working out for you? This is not easy. This reminder' is here, and this reminder keeps coming up, to hold fast the crown. Paul speaks about a crown often because we look for treasure everywhere else than where we should. We listen to voices everywhere else and where we should. Then how often does the voice of our father get drowned out by all the voices of the world? We have many fathers in this culture. Everyone wants us to look like them. Earn this, you'll be like me. Achieve this, you'll be like me side with these people, stand over here, and you'll be associated with them. They will exalt you. They will lift you up. Do we look for the exaltation of man and those around us or the exaltation of our father? I love what James says in James 1:12. He says this, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Notice how complete that is. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. That's every one of us will face trial. For when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. The goal is still the same. James is not saying anything different than what Proverbs is saying, and many people call James the Proverbs of the New Testament. This crown of life That's what you look for. That's what you strive for. That is what you hold on to because that is associated with loving God because he has loved us. And so what they, what Solomon knew as wisdom, we know as eternal life through Christ. What Solomon knew as a crown of long life, we know as a crown of eternal life, reigning in glory with the true son of David. All right, second poem. Poem number two, starting in verse 10. Hear my words, and accept. hear my son, and accept my words. Um, all right, let's get to the big idea. The big idea here. Wisdom will lead you on the path of life and light. Wisdom will lead you on the path of life and light. This is a little bit different of a poem. This is a poem of movement. And if you're reading this this, this week, notice the, the imagery that is being painted here. How many nouns and verbs of movement are used? Look at them, starting in verse 11. The way of wisdom, the paths of righteousness. You, your walk and step in verse 12. Your running and stumbling in verse 12, 12 as well. Um, verse 13, the path, the walk. Um, do not go into it, verse 15. Turn away, verse, verse 15. And again, this, this kind of keeps going. So we've got the, the, the crown of glory, the destination, now we've got the ambulation, the, the, the walk, the Christian life, day by day, month by month, step by step, you will be moving. Every day we get up and we go somewhere. What will your movements be made of? And so the, the, the image here is of wisdom as you sail. That, that that wisdom is the wind in your sails that, that will bring you from one destination to the next and if you don't have wisdom you will get tossed to and fro if you are not given a direction if your sails are not pointed to where you will go you will be brought by this wave and 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 this wave and we know especially living in florida a little bit of breeze makes a big difference even yesterday we went for a walk it's like 80 degrees on christmas day it should not be allowed uh, and when you walk in the sun, it's not very pleasant, but you get a little bit of breeze. You get a little bit of movement, and all of a sudden, your, your, your energy is, is picked up. Wisdom gives, gives breeze and, and gives direction to those who, are, who are, are walking, especially in Florida. All right, so verse 10. Hear, my son, and accept my words that, here's purpose, the years of your life may be many. Here's the purpose of wisdom and the purpose of this whole fatherly talk. The years of your life. This poem is concerned with quantity and quality of life. Quantity and quality of life. To them, long life was a good life. And so there's an expectation that a long life will also be a good life during the duration. And he goes on, I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the path of righteousness when you walk. Your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. This is all familiar to us. This has been repeated and will be repeated again in in Proverbs. But he's reminding him of the righteous counsel. If you listen, wisdom will lead you. It will be a smooth walk, it will be a pleasant journey. Do you want a pleasant life? Do you want a pleasant journey? Verse 13 keep and hold instruction. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her for she is your life. Hold fast to what is valuable. Hold fast to wisdom. Why? Because it is life. John 8, and the famous words of Peter when he comes to this realization. And he declares it and sets for once in Peter's early life as a good example for the disciples. John 8, 66-69. Or John 6, excuse me. John 6. After this, so Jesus said some very hard things about eternal life. Uh, The Pharisees were not happy. And he told them that no one can come to me unless it is granted them by the Father. And this is difficult for people to hear. It's still difficult for people to hear today. No one can come to me unless the Father grants it. Well, wait, I want the ability to choose God. I'm going to walk the other way. Look at verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Some walk away. When they hear hard things, when difficult things come, they walk away. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is what the writer of Proverbs is saying. Hold on to instruction. Do not let go. Guard her for she is your life. Peter realized what Solomon was telling his sons, that's Jesus. He has the words of eternal life. He's the holy one of God. Where else could we go? I will walk wherever you walk. I will go wherever you go. Because you are my wisdom. You are my life. So you got the the positive of the first half, 10 through 13, but now the negative of the second half, beginning in verse 14. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it, that path. Turn away from it and pass on. So the call is don't turn away from wisdom, but do turn away from wickedness. Don't turn away from what is what is good and pleasing to God, but do turn away from wickedness. So back to the two paths again. Remember this the theme that we've seen, the way of the righteous and the way of, of the wicked, one to keep and one to avoid. This avoiding here, do not enter the paths of wickedness, do not walk in the way of evil, avoid it, do not go in it. Avoid it like a dead body. We have this sick, morbid curiosity. We love train wrecks and people falling on their face and, 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 and we love things that, that we shouldn't. But this is a dead body. There is nothing living in it. It is stinking and it is wretched. If you've ever smelled a dead body, you get as far away from it as you can. You don't get a little closer to see what's, what's going on because it's disgusting. That's what he's saying here. This is death. Avoid it. Walk on the other side of the street. Run the other way. Have nothing to do with it. That is right. But our morbid curiosity, we're like, well, what's going on over there? It can't be as bad as everyone thinks. Maybe there is some, some, some life in it. That's how foolish it is. That's how foolish it is walking after the things of this world thinking that there's life in it. It's like going up to a dead body and kicking it and expecting it to jump back up again. There's nothing good in it. Avoid it. Don't even think about it again. Verses 16 and 17 describe them for, so 16, 17, both start with, with four. Why? Why avoid it? Why pass on? For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong, and they are robbed of sleep. You got to be pretty wicked if you can't sleep unless you've made someone stumble. Good thing that doesn't happen anymore. People are just basically good now. (laughs) For they eat of the bread of wickedness and drink of the wine of violence. I love what Bruce Waltke says. He says, they are evil holics, they, they, get, they get drunk on wickedness. They eat, sleep, drink, or, or, or don't sleep so that they can do more wicked. Notice two things that are mentioned here, the bread and the wine. These are staples of that, that culture. On almost every table, there will be bread and there will be wine. But also, we know the the perfect picture of bread and wine we have at the communion table. We took of that earlier. The reminder that we have communion with Christ, the reminder that his body, his blood is given to us so we have union with him and one another. But what is their communion? Their communion is the communion of sin. They have communion in wickedness. They are are taking company with the wicked. For us, we desire to take company with the righteous. We desire to eat of, of, of the bread of life, to be covered by the blood of Christ. But the warning here is their communion. Their their meals, they are drunken wickedness. They are a gluttonous Christmas dinner to your your full forever and ever thinking only of yourself. Avoid it. Don't eat. Don't take their communion. My son, don't have communion with the wicked. And in case you don't get the picture, I'm going to lean in a little bit more. Verse 18. Now here's the contrast. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. So the conclusion of this poem is the the light-dark contrast. And I love the imagery here. Look at verse 18. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. So here's, here's what he's doing. The light of dawn, the first time that the sun comes up, this is the path of righteousness. Anyone who's ever seen a sunset knows how beautiful and motivating it is. You see a sunset, and you, you, you are ready for the day. This is glorious. This is beautiful. I want to take on and, and, and take off, and I've got excitement and optimism for the day. That is the path of the righteous. What happens when the righteous keep walking? Which shines brighter and brighter until full day. This is a beautiful picture of sanctification, of walking in righteousness, that every step toward Christ, every step in maturity looks like another hour in the day. The sun is raised higher and, and, and higher. We grow into the, the language that Paul used in 2 Corinthians 3.18. I uh, can put up on the screen quickly. Growing in one degree of brightness to another, and we all, with unveiled face, if you are in Christ, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Here's the contrast. The wicked, they are having evil communion. They are in in darkness. Why would you walk in darkness when you have the glory of the Lord through the Holy Spirit? When you, get to, when you get to grow in, in glory from one degree to another and this picture of the sun rising higher and higher on the horizon, and this is the Christian life. Year by, by year, the sun becomes brighter and brighter. Hopefully, you are shining brighter and brighter in the image of Christ until one day when we are under the fullness of the sun, S-O-N. Because the S-U-N will no longer be necessary because he will be our light. He will be our glory. And so, this is the life of the Christian. We look more and more like our brother. We look more and more like Christ. And we shine brighter and brighter until the day that we meet him in glory. But the wicked are not so. Verse 19 the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. Think about the contrast here the brightness of the noon sun, the path of the righteous versus deep darkness. So dark, they do not know over what they stumble. This is walking around in blindness, stumbling around in a dark room. Every one of us in this room has stubbed our toe trying to get to the light walking in a dark room. But most of us in this room remember what that was like before Christ. You think that you're walking in the light, but nothing makes sense. You can't really grasp onto everything. Everything is, is fleeting. Nothing is, is bolted down. You feel like you finally got your feet under it, and then you fall again. You bump your head again, and you stub your toe again. This is what it's like walking in deep darkness. Like you can never get your footing. But some of you in this room have the light. Yet you are walking as if you're walking in darkness. You are content with the things of this world. Instead of avoiding it, you're running with it. You are flirting with it and wondering why you're stumbling. You have the light. You avoid the light because you love the darkness. But because if you are truly in Christ, you cannot love the darkness for long. You are miserable and you go through this cycle. And I've had this conversation so many times. Take courage with the words of Jesus in John eight, John eight twelve. There are many references to light and dark throughout John, but I just want to read this this one, and I t- hope you take heart in this. John eight twelve, and again Jesus spoke to them, saying, "I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life." I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is a promise you can take to the bank. We are fearful of walking with Christ because we are intimidated, we are, we are ashamed, we are weak and feeble, but this promise is true. He offers the light and life of eternal life in him. So why is this walk path um, way, language so prevalent in Proverbs and all throughout the Bible? Why do we see this again and again? Because this is the picture of the human experience, the Christian life, walking, moving. Our Savior calls us to follow him as the only way because he knows those other paths, those other voices calling out to you, they may seem good for a moment, but they will lead you to stumbling. They will lead you off the path. Darkness doesn't tell you it's darkness. It's darkness. By nature, it doesn't expose itself. But it masquerades around as if it's light. And all it needs is a little bit of doubt, a little bit of intrigue to pull us away. I was thinking about this. You ever walk in a neighborhood at at night? And a a dimly lit neighborhood. And all of the trees, if you're a kid, all the trees look like monsters. Every every sound is some evil dog who's going to come around. The corner and chase you down the, down the street. You don't know who's coming behind you. You're, you're kind of on all alert. Ever walked around in that same neighborhood in the daytime? Is the experience anything the same? It's not because we can see clearly. There's a, a confidence and a comfort when you walk around in the daytime. If you're struggling in your walk with the Lord right now, are you walking in darkness? Are you trying to be led by the things of the world which will only cause you to stumble? Or are you holding on to Jesus? Are you looking to your Savior who is light and life and in him is no shadow of turning, is no darkness at all? All right. so we're moving from the destination to the walk of life to now the heart behind it. Third and final poem. And we'll wrap up here. My son, third one, be attentive to my words. Here's the big idea. A right heart keep your lives straight. Here's your orientation. A right heart keeps our lives straight. Notice the repetition here. The last one, it was movement here. It's, it's bodily repetition. Ear, eyes, heart, flesh, speech. All of you, all of life is in view. There is a spiritual component that is being that is being reinforced by physical imagery every part of your body is mentioned here but most importantly most important of them all is the heart that is the orientation of the rest of the body this is the 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 condition of your heart shows the condition of your entire anatomy and the picture here is of heart as compass that the direction that your heart is pointing, what your heart is oriented toward, what your heart is inclined to, will move the rest of you. Your heart will direct you toward righteous things, but if that compass needle is off by one degree, and many of you think, well, I can just, I can just slip one degree. Anyone ever been off by one degree for an extended amount of time? That, that brings you way off. That brings you in a completely different direction and so our heart must be oriented to where it needs to go. And so why does the Bible speak about heart so much? Why is the heart repeated so many times in this poem? Because if you're talking about glory, if you're talking about life, we have to talk about our heart because we know how wicked and fickle it is. We know if we're not reminded to examine our heart, if the call to circumcise your heart is not is not applied, we'll be like wicked Israel. Wanting to go back to Egypt, wanting to make golden calves. All right, uh, let's move on. My son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. There's a correlation here between what you hear and what you, what you hear and what you see. Your ears are the, the receivers of the body. Scripture speaks often that faith comes through hearing, that what you hear, don't just be hearers but doers, don't just let things come in but actually listen. Because what comes in will determine what comes out. And so what goes in your ears will direct where your eyes go. It's kind of the, the, whole, the whole antenna idea. What you tune your ears to will pick up what kind of frequency that you hear. And what station you end up listening to will determine what you end up looking at. And so this, this connection between what you hear and what you see is, is um, kind of part and parcel with the human experience. And so what is... And then there's the the, the, the tie to it all. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. The heart is the depository of the man. This shows what you're really made of because what goes in your ear will get to your heart and will address your eyes and your hands and your mouth and your feet. What is kept in the heart is the true measure of a man because as Jesus told us, there is a relationship between our treasure and our heart where our treasure is our heart will be also where our heart is there's where was we will seek for treasure and what stirs the heart will stir the man what directs the heart will direct the man what transforms the heart will transform the man this is why the promise of the new covenant is not just you'll be better moralistically you need a new heart you need to be born again because your heart is evil and wicked. Who can trust it? Your, your compass is off. You're a compass in a world full of magnets. It's just spinning in circles. You have no, no uh, knowledge of where to go. But you, must need, you, you need a new heart. Why? Why do you keep these things in your heart? For, verse 22, purpose again. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all flesh. Healing, life, uh, salvation is kind of a synonym for these. They begin on the inside. Too often we try to transform ourselves and people from the outside in. If you just, put, you just put yourself together, you put on the right clothes, you do the right things, and then your heart will change. No, you must have the heart transformation first. It, must, it, it begins on the inside. But if it does happen on the inside, it will be healing to all flesh. Here's what's being said here. We understand this perfectly because in our culture, we have no shortage of doctors and no shortage of specialists. And they can each tell you what's wrong with a different part of you. We've got medicine cabinets full of things that will address all these different needs in our body, but none of them can heal all flesh. The heart inclined to wisdom, the heart that is transformed by the working and the power of God, that is the only one that can heal all flesh. Now begins in our spirit, but one day, All of our being, this shell of a body that needs all those doctors and that needs all of those those pill bottles will be transformed, but it begins with a new heart. It begins with new life, and that is the only thing that gives hope to our mind, to our flesh, to our spirit. That is the only thing. And then this, this beautiful picture in verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows springs of life. In our last men's study, we had a great conversation about springs. I love the, the, the language in the London Confession that says, He alone, meaning God, is the fountain of all being. So they didn't have water fountains. They didn't have electricity in the 17th century, obviously. But what were they referring to? Natural fountains, natural springs. We live in Florida. There's springs everywhere. And what's the amazing thing about springs is that the fresh water keeps coming. And it comes. And is this, this this fountain that supports all the life around it. That is the language here. If you keep your heart with all vigilance, if you put this wisdom within your heart, from it will flow springs of life. This, this, this fresh water that will, that will be reviving to your entire being. I love how Charles Bridges talked about this, that your, your eyes, your feet, your, your mouth, they're the streams that flow out of the spring. Everything else comes downstream from the heart. What you, what you speak, the abundance of the heart comes out of the mouth. The desires of the heart will direct your, your feet. The inclination of the heart will direct your eyes. All of these other parts of our anatomy are coming downstream from the heart. So that's why he brings up speech in verse 24. Put away from you crooked speech. The heart must be addressed first. Look at Luke 6, 43 through 45. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Here's why he addresses heart first and then mouth. This mouth. This spring, whatever spring is inside you, if it's a good tree with good fruit, good things are going to spring out of your lips. If it is a wicked spring with sulfuric water that distorts and taints everything, you can only hide that so long. It's going to come out eventually. So, son, how do you guard against this? Let your eyes look directly forward, and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the paths of your feet, then all of your ways will be sure. Look straight ahead. Look to Christ. Pondering. Pondering is always done in the heart first. It always begins with our our thoughts and our desires. There is not a person in this room who walks anywhere they don't want to go. I don't know every one of your stories but no one has ever held a gun to your head and told you to go sin. We walk where we want to go. We we ponder things in our heart. We can ponder righteous things and go after righteous paths or we can ponder and meditate on things that lead us to death and destruction and walk down that path. Keep your eyes and your gaze fixed straight ahead. Do not swerve, ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. As I was thinking about this, this is like every godly man at the beach. Uh, Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Because there is temptation that way and there is temptation that way. A lot of flesh and very little fabric. This is the world. Look over here, look over here. All this eye candy held together with no substance. Nothing, nothing to actually sustain you. But this is the call of, of the righteous man. The world is calling you over here, over here, over here. Men, if you if you know the struggle, say amen. The rest of you are lying. We must not swerve to the right or to the left. We must not look to the the, the, the temptation of the of, of the forbidden woman who who draws us the way who draws us away. So we're gonna lean into this next week as we look at the adulterous woman. And so the last admonition in this whole entire poem draws on the first. Be attentive, incline your ear, hold fast in your heart, and you will not swerve to the right or to the left. But all the enemy needs is to get you to swerve ever so slightly. All the enemy needs is to just move your compass needle a little bit. And you think, I can take one step over here and two steps over here. Pretty soon you look back and you don't know where you are. And so that's why this admonition must be so strong. And if we're honest, it doesn't take much for us to swerve. Can you take an afternoon off from being a Christian? Can you take an evening off from the things of the Lord? How quickly are we pulled away by the desires of our own flesh? How quickly does the darkness become appealing? How quickly do we blind ourselves to the light? How quickly do we stumble in the fruit of our own decisions? How quickly do we let go and go off? But thankfully, it's not up to us to hold on. It is to up to the one who holds on to us. One thing I thought was interesting, I did a study on heart in the scriptures. There are many mentions, hundreds of mentions to the heart in the scriptures, not one associated with Jesus. Every one of them is is a call to incline your your heart, to tune your your, your heart. All these calls to the heart, never once for Christ. His heart was never in question. His heart is never the issue. His heart is perfect and pure. So I want to close here on Hebrews chapter 4, verse four through, um, 14 through 16. A beautiful, beloved reminder. As we think about this, as we read a passage like this and to hear some of the things that I've said, it, it can be our natural inclination to admit, man, I suck. I need to do more. I need to work harder. I, how could anyone ever love me? How could anyone ever save me? We need to remember these words. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Our confession is him. Not only has he passed through the heavens, he's passed through the earth first. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Everything laid out here in Proverbs 4, Christ did perfectly without sin. And he understands the temptation of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. He understands the appeal of darkness. He was hungry before Satan for 40 days and he was offered bread and didn't take the communion of wickedness. So that through him, we might be blameless. So that through him we might receive mercy. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Thank the Lord we don't have to walk on our own. Thank the Lord he went before us. Thank the Lord that his cross accomplishes ours. Thank the Lord that his perfect and pure heart purchases ours. Praise the Lord that he sent the Holy Spirit to revive us and give us a new heart. And if you can't praise the Lord in that, then you need to cry out for a new heart. You need to be born again. Otherwise, you will walk in darkness and you will, you will have the same fate as our enemy. But if Christ went before you, if he is your high priest, walk in him, walk in newness of life and hold on to him with every fiber of your being. He is your fountain of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a good Father you are. You are not content to have the perfect relationship with your Son throughout all eternity. You need nothing. We can add nothing to you. But yet you sent Your son, to redeem your creation who wanted nothing to do with you, who chose darkness over light, who continues to choose darkness. But you are long suffering toward us. You are loving toward us. You show us your love by sending the son of David, the perfect, obedient son, the pure, upright in heart, who laid down his life for us that we might have new life who sent his spirit that we might be revived that our hearts might beat for the first time truly that our eyes might be opened that we might walk in this world that is beckons us to darkness with our eyes fixed on the crown of glory because jesus has gone before us the founder and perfecter of our faith Lord, forgive us for our weakness. Encourage us, strengthen us when we go astray. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on him, to look to him, to prize his crown higher than any accolades that the world can give us. May we walk like the light of day until the the sun is no more and we stand with the son of God as our king our high priest forever. It is in his name we pray, amen.